Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Anne Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. I'm excited to introduce my featured guest today, Godwin Chan. Godwin is a recent grad with over three years of experience in nonprofit organization management, event planning, and molecular biology and bioinformatics research. He is currently the assistant event manager of Discover Your Personal Brand, DYPB, a startup that offers personal branding events development, training, and resources to empower working professionals to kickstart and maintain their personal brand journey. Currently, Godwin is writing his first book titled Digital Introverts, Why Today's Most Successful Individuals Harness Introversion to Thrive, which is slated for publishing in July of 2020. Godwin, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. And just a little correction on the uh, publishing date. It's been just a bit pushed back to December, but everything else is on order. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, terrific. Sometimes you just need that little extra time. You don't know exactly what's involved in it, particularly it's your first book. But I'd love to understand a little bit more about your background and where you got to where you are today, because you've, you've got an eclectic background. And you and I have had some earlier discussions around your science background, and you're now doing event planning. So you've done lots of different things. So I'd love to understand a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today. Perfect. Sounds good. And as you said, I do have an eclectic background in terms of the breadth of things that I've done and the experiences I've had. So back in undergraduate studies, when I was at the university here in Canada, the singular goal of my life was to get into medical school. That was, that was everything that I focused on. There was no, not necessarily a plan B in the sense that Oh, you know, I was very enthusiastic about pursuing anything else outside of medicine. That was it. That was the the one profession that I sought after my entire life. I was preparing for this moment. So in, in my undergraduate studies, I did everything to put myself in the best position to be accepted into medical school. And, you know, as you know, here in North America, getting in is not easy, <laughs> to say the least. Right. It's probably highly competitive. Yes, and very much so, especially here in Canada, because we have a very, very limited amount of schools and, and spots to fill in those schools, even compared to the U.S., for example. And so, you know, I, I took all the prerequisite courses. I wrote the MCAT, you know, that's the uh, medical exam for, you know, uh, applying. And then I, I applied for two application cycles. And the closest I ever got to being accepted was 
that I was placed on the final waiting list at the University of Toronto uh, here in Canada, uh, which is no small feat, uh, and which is fine. But what ended up happening was that you know I was placed on the waiting list for a couple of weeks, and then I was uh, shortly <laughs> put off that waiting list afterwards. Mm. So you know, so experiencing that, and you know, for me, that was pretty defining moment in terms of oh i you know applying for a couple of times and and not getting in and i even went to uh do a one-year master's degree at the university of montreal to pursue kind of my interest in this area a bit further but also to bide me some time in applying for a second time basically i came back here to the greater toronto area which is where i'm from and you know after being rejected twice I took a bit of time in introspecting about, you know, is this something that I am truly passionate about? Or is this something that society has deemed to be a noble profession? Or is it because it's a high paying profession? You know, I went through all these different questions, you know, about career and purpose and my journey and my path in life and came to the conclusion, the ultimate conclusion that medicine no longer aligned with my interests for a variety of reasons, actually. So one would be just, you know, in incompatibility with the profession and my personality. A couple of ways in, in terms of, uh, mm. you know, first of all, I am absolutely terrible at working under pressure. <laughs> and that is something I, I am very self-aware of. And, you know, the second aspect is that, you know, akin to that, I may not be the best communicator under times of duress, right? And, and so I may not be very well kind of aligned or perform as well as for example some of my uh, colleagues in you know the personality and incongruence you know second of all I was uh, especially during my year uh, in Montreal I was so my interest in in healthcare you know in the healthcare professions and or or just my interest in in science really and uh, becoming a doctor were waning uh and there was a proportional increase in interest on my side in business and entrepreneurship and digital marketing and personal branding, all these different, you know, different areas. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, I just chose to to walk away from uh, pursuing medicine. Um, and that's not to say, you know, that is the right decision for for everyone, because I know there are many cases of individuals who would who would also, you know, pursue a Ph.D., and also, and then apply to medical school afterwards as well, or people who apply for three, four, five times, and and even more, because they're so they're very hell bent on pursuing medicine. Right now, I'm not, I don't know what their motivations are for becoming a, a physician, but it's something that is very desirable, and that's why you see that the bottleneck is so tight for this profession. So afterwards, I started doing a, a lot of exploring, a lot of experimentation with income generation in terms of joining a, a digital health startup in the Boston area. It's called Kiva Health, and they were, they're developing an app that will help asthma patients manage their care, and which was interesting. I was helping to really kickstart their social media presence, their, their digital marketing. Right in, in that sense, I was helping them manage their their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and LinkedIn accounts, which was interesting. And uh, I did it for a a few months just to get my feet wet in terms of you know that. Um, and then I I left that just because I was it was essentially a volunteer position. 
I want to say that I think it's commendable for you to take you know, at least explore that and take that leap and recognize as you were kind of pursuing the medical career that you, you recognize a couple of important qualities that were probably essential to that, to being really successful in that profession and was able to really kind of take that that on board as soon as you recognized it, you know, the working under pressure and the communication skills. Has that was has that been part of the learning experience for you going forward in terms of the the things that you've been exploring since that time and what you're doing today? Yes, that's the journey of self-awareness. That's what I, I'd like to call it. And I think that is very crucial in terms of finding your or crafting really your ideal career, right? Or how you would like to work, right? And the second part is, are you good at it? Right? Are, do you have the technical, technical competencies to do your job well? When you can find a career that satisfies both requirements, uh, that's the best possible outcome. At what point did you recognize that those two important are, are two really important things uh, in career success, or at least advancing your the success of your career? I came up with it, or I became aware of it. Kind of, it was very, it was a very gradual process, obviously of trial and error. You know, in coming to to the things I'm doing today with the with the podcasting with the with the book and i'm going to continue exploring even blogging and starting a youtube channel things like that in terms of the future projects and it's still very much a work in progress as well and in even the second point about the are you good at it this can also change over time as you gain proficiency in in a few areas for example even four or five years ago when i was still an undergraduate student uh, looking to pursue medicine i had barely any experience in digital marketing. I taught myself a lot of those mm. those skills, mainly from trial and error, really, of managing my own social accounts to managing other organizations' accounts as well. And I've had, you know, var varying levels of success and failure with that. And I've made every single social media gaffe you can think of. Is there a particular challenge or failure that has taught you the most about yourself? I mean, I can think of a kind of few instances with companies that I've tried starting up, actually. For a period of time within the past couple of years, I've been really interested in pursuing a startup in terms of, you know, let's create a, a company that can scale and grow very quickly. And of course, that kind of bought into the ethos of Silicon Valley and how people can become quote-unquote successful that way. And so for a time, I was very, I was experimenting with that, you know, after, uh, for example, leaving the nonprofit I helped to start during my undergraduate studies, that experience has taught me kind of a lot about how to scale an organization and how to manage and deal with people. And after that, I tried, for example, starting a jam company, of all things. What company? Jams, making, making jams oh, and, wow. and marbles. <laughs> Yes, that was it. Was it does sound like out of left field, right? But but that's okay. That's okay. You're still not entrepreneur, right? You're still an entrepreneur. For a time, I, was, I love that. Yeah, I tried. It was it was it was really interesting process. I mean, I learned I learned from scratch how to make jams and bottle them up or to put them into the jars and uh, sealing them and 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 things like that. 
it was interesting little project and you know i actually made a sale <laughs> I made one sale out of that. However, the the problem became the business model. How was I going to be different from Smuckers, mm -hmm. for example? How I, was I even going to be different from all the other vendors at my local farmer's market? Because the one big advantage they have over me is that they produce the fruits themselves, right? And so it's entire vertical integration. Well, whereas I had to go to my local metro and buy them. So it, at, at the end, it just became a little passion project of mine over the summer. And in terms of a second project, I tried starting a software as a service company called Motif Insights. And this was with, you know, one of my friends who is a designer herself and she has a full-time job. You know, we tried a lot of um, ways to, you know, see how we can help other startups or other new companies mm -hmm. do beta testing, essentially, or helping them test their first versions of their products, right? So it was very, very meta in that sense. So we suffered a few different problems with that and first first of all it is a business model problem again more fun fundamentally it was what was our solution right and we weren't exactly also clear on what our problem was beta testing can be expensive it, it uh you know there's no kind of one you know one stop shop for everything that you need in terms of you know looking for participants or onboarding participants uh, getting their feedback conducting the actual test things like that companies usually have to resort to using a conglomerate of different tools and different software tools essentially to help conduct that and so what we thought was let well let's try building a platform to an online platform to uh, help facilitate that the only problem was we didn't have a technical person on the team or someone who can help program it or code it right and, and to make it into actual existence and of course we considered outsourcing that to to someone else or to get a freelancer to help us build the, the first version of that and there are companies who have succeeded by doing that or by outsourcing the the technical components but it was just we weren't very clear on what exactly our problem was what our, exactly our pain point was and we didn't exactly have an idea of how you know we can solve it if we don't even know what's wrong and then how can we solve it? And so, you know, with these uh, different failures of trying to build and, and scale companies, for now, I've taken a backseat on on this on these aspirations. That, that does not mean, though, that I won't, you know, wouldn't like to pursue that someday. Uh, it's just that I've, yeah, I've just put, you know, some of my other projects in the forefront and maybe, you know, in the future, I can potentially make a company under my own name as a, as a personal brand or pursue that <laughs> that elusive startup uh, ideal or or that kind of company uh, that can grow quickly and if i was going to and side note if i was going to do that or you know in the future probably be in the biotech space mm. and why is that i have the that type of background and pre-existing relationships with a lot of key stakeholders in that area, especially in on the on the R and D side, so the research and development side, because a lot of my friends and also people I knew from from the academic world, right, they do a lot of that research, and then I also have quite a few contacts in the pharmaceutical space as well. So, would you say that that um, area you would have a natural interest in, and it and because you have that natural interest in it, you have a sort of a passion for it and your your background in science that you'd probably be good at it and the fact that you have had some entrepreneurial experience and learned from your failures that that 
could very possibly equip you going forward. Yes, I believe that you know there is potential there, right? With with the understanding of both actually the scientific world as well as the as the business world, as well. I think that that would be a good asset in uh, making a successful venture, you know, in this area. Now the issue is that you know first is what. Mm-hmm. you know kinds of uh areas would i want to pursue right what kind of problem would i want to tackle right and second is is actually how to hire or what or how to you know assemble the founding team and to and to actually uh put it into reality of course one thing that i'm very interested in is actually the pharmaceutical space uh just because that is that is actually what i uh what i studied in undergrad right and that was and we basically looked at the scientific and the business aspects of how to make drugs uh, from conception to on your pharmacy shelf uh, and, and everything that's involved uh, within that process. And more specifically, actually, the pharmaceutical supply chain in the sense that, you know, it's, uh, it's quite convoluted, I would say, in terms of there are, you know, kind of multiple players, right, in terms of uh, you have the manufacturers of the, uh, of the medications, whether, you know, whether it's Pfizer or GSK or you name it, there are a lot of these pharmaceutical companies out there. Uh, and then you have the wholesalers or the distributors, like you know, like your McKessons and and things like that, who would you know bulk buy uh, these uh, these drugs from the manufacturers. And then there, you know, there's also the pharmacy benefit managers. There's it's a very convoluted system. Is you know, I'm sure you know, whenever you step into your local pharmacy to get medications there's there are many players in the space you know especially when you try to claim you know medications for uh under under your health insurance that is that is a whole entire world unto itself even i don't know all of it because it's just it's such it's such a very very confusing system well i know even as a consumer it's pretty confusing it it depends it's like you know you have all your different uh health insurance plans it's like Oh, is this medication covered? How much does it cover? Uh, how much am I going to pay out of pocket today? How is the government going to cover this medication? Right? Why doesn't it cover this? <laughs> right? And it's a whole big mess. And for me, it's like, why does it have to be this complicated? Why can't we just make it simpler? Or why can't we just buy directly from a manufacturer? Right? And of course, there are lots and lots of regulations in place. I know it's a have, of course, healthcare is a very regulated industry simplifying that supply chain i think well at least you've noticed there's a gap in the marketplace and that's a pain point for a lot of different people so that could be something that you know some sort of future endeavor for you to to tackle there's there's a potential i mean there are there are actually a lot of online pharmacy startups now nowadays uh which does help it's like it's it's like the amazon for pharmacies and even even amazon's working on the pharmaceutical space as well but obviously there are still a lot of regulatory loopholes to go through right to kind of establish this type of operations and for sure there are you know of course there's you know a lot of these companies who are doing this right now but you know of course there are a lot of limitations to it it's more like oh you know we can only sell like ibuprofen or uh, Tylenol, right, to, uh, you know, to patients, or even just chronic medications, like for diabetes or hypertension or things like that, right? And one one particular hurdle is whether these online pharmacies can 
actually sell narcotics, especially with with the opioid crisis being as huge as it is, as it is, and that's you know a huge problem. Of course, by enabling that, that would make it much easier to uh, to source and to abuse as well. So there are it's it's very multifaceted and it's very it's very interesting at least for me. I bet it is for a lot of people. But I'd love to shift gears a little bit here and talk about some of your current initiatives and particularly this book that you're working on, Digital Introvert. Share a little bit more about the story behind what uh, triggered the the idea behind the book. For sure. So I like a lot of people have always wanted to write a book right i had that conception of oh i'm going to be a published author one day right and you know of course my love of writing came from you know just naturally came when i was very young you know love to write uh stories and it's <laughs> and it's really embarrassing looking back at my grade four stories <laughs> that i wrote on my uh, on microsoft word 2003 i still have those files and even in high school i actually began setting up a couple of blogs and just learning how to you know, make a website, things like that, albeit it's from preset WordPress templates, but still it was, you know, I learned that process, got a sense of how to publish online. And then in university, I stopped writing for a bit, although I did get a poem that I wrote published in a local anthology. So that was very interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. uh, You know, I dabbled in, in poetry writing as well. And then after undergrad, I experimented with writing on LinkedIn and then now on Medium, blogging website. And then very soon, I'll be setting up a personal website of my own, which I've been putting off for years. I don't know why, but I, I think now is a good time to do it just to host my original content right on there because you actually don't own your own content on Medium. It's more like a social network. Mm-hmm. The actual topic came about because I always wanted to share my story of how I overcame shyness and social anxiety, low self-esteem, low self-image, the, you know, these types of challenges. Let's talk about that, how that affected you overcoming those challenges. When I was young, I had many instances, of course, my parents have shared, uh, you know, this with me in terms of very, very shy to the point that extremely difficult for me to make friends when I was little. And all I really wanted to do was, of course, I would be, I would go to school. And then all I did afterwards was no, not, you know, not go play on the playground with friends. It was rather, you know, I'd come back home and then just play a lot of video games, right? Mm-hmm. And do my homework as well. But that, you know, for a long period of time, you know, while growing up, that was my existence. You know, I just go to school to study. I remember during recess, I wouldn't say I completely, you know, didn't play with anyone else, but it was more often than not, you can find me just wandering about the playground by myself. A very natural thing for me to do. And I didn't think it was weird or out of the ordinary. It was actually cherished those, those times uh, because I would have the time to, to be by myself and to think and to, you know, pick up grasshopper and, you know, all, all the little th- things I did uh, when I was younger. The one thing that I dreaded always doing in school was making presentations or doing presentations. Mm-hmm. To me, it was scarier than death to be very honest to me at the time right it was just that was the scariest thing i could ever do i bet you know i remember absolutely refusing to do presentations when i was younger and my teachers tried every trick in the book it was like okay class everyone turn around so everyone would turn around and i would be speaking to the back of everyone's heads but i knew that everyone was listening and so kind of more extreme example of that was okay class everyone leave the room Mm -hmm. so everyone physically got up left the classroom and I was just speaking to an empty room 
but that was not wow. as effective as well because I knew that people were still listening because they were, they were just outside the door, right? Yeah. That was, it didn't help because it wasn't necessarily the eye contact uh, problem. That was the problem. It was rather fear of judgment of what I had to say. In any case, you, you know, I got much better at it over time. And in high school, I was actually placed on a special education plan when I was younger. I was identified as being a gifted student in terms of, oh, I took an, I took an IQ test in grade four and it identified me as such. <laughs> I don't place particular significance onto that. But in high school, because I had this designation, I was able to enter what is known as the enhanced learning program at my high school, which is kind of a specialized curriculum for mm -hmm. uh, individuals who have higher than average IQ scores, right, as, as based on that test or similar versions of that. And so for the first time, it was much easier for me to befriend others mm -hmm. and to really be an active participant in kind of all matters of school life, not just the academic portion. Was that because you were feeling included and you were associating with others that were kind of in, for lack of a better term, the same category as you in terms of a higher IQ and the enhanced learning opportunity? Yes, I absolutely hate to kind of exclude, you know, others who weren't part of the program, but it was more of a feeling of inclusion and not familiarity at the start, but rather they're more relatable in terms of things that we were interested in speaking about. And and sometimes that's what it takes to get us out of our comfort zone, it, you know, into our comfort zone, but that can eventually pull us out of our comfort zone and operate in a world that is so, well, for lack of a better term, externally focused and energized. Right, exactly. And so, you know, I was, uh, I took a lot of risks, right, you know, in high school in terms of joining a lot of clubs, you know, after school activities, things like that. And that, of course, helped me build stronger bonds with uh, some of my classmates, right, as well, who uh, are also participated in this. And at the end of high school, you know, I know I tell the story a lot, but at the end of high school, I decided to, to try out for the position of valedictorian, which is an interesting concept because majority of high schools actually it is an appointed position, right? But my high school was a little different in that it was more so an election process and it was more <laughs> democratic in that way to defeat my fear of public speaking once and for all. Mm -hmm. You know, after preparing the speech, actually doing the speech, you know, now public speaking is a breeze, right? It, it, in terms of mm -hmm. me actually wanting to do it and to, you know, or enjoying that process, even though I may still have those nerves when I am just about to speak. But you're able to face your fear these days. Whereas at one point, you, you know, you couldn't face your fear, but now you can face your fear and you face it bravely. Exactly. Now it's no longer a fear. That's right. Right. And so, and what also really helped was um, when I entered university, I was, of, of course, living away from home for the first time in my life. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I continued to cultivate a social life in terms of outside of academics as well, because you're surrounded by your peers basically 24-7 in that sense, right? Because I was living near campus at the time. And so I would, you know, go hang out with my friends at any time of day. Literally, I remember having, you know, staying up an entire night to talk to some of my closest friends. Now, that I would not recommend you do, actually. <laughs> uh, no matter how compelling the conversation is, because my sleep schedule was ruined for the rest of that week. <laughs> 
you know, all the culmination of all these experiences, I really wanted to share uh, in the form of a memoir. That was my original conception of the book. And what had happened was that uh, a mutual friend actually introduced Professor Eric Coaster and I uh, on LinkedIn. And Eric actually runs a book writing course. So he's a professor at Georgetown University. He he runs a book writers course um, online, actually. Mm-hmm. So we had an introductory call for it. And I mentioned that I wanted to write a memoir. And and he said basically, was and to paraphrase, you know, no one really wants to read a memoir unless it's Michelle Obama, which, <laughs> which, it, and I mean, it, it, it's true, really, because, it, you know, the only memoirs that people will gravitate, gravitate towards is one, if you're already famous, mm-hmm. or two, if you have an incredible story like Malala Yousafzai, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I fit n- into neither of those categories. And so what he suggested was to make it a non-fiction book and to interview a bunch of other introverts mm. on their stories and their journey, right, of fulfillment and self-improvement. And, you know, and, and I thought to myself, that is actually a better idea just because, uh, you know, I don't have to, you know, try to make my life more interesting than it actually is. Uh, and, you know, it's a way, it's a good marketing tactic too because then you can spread it to everyone's collective networks, right, with uh, with every guest, with every person you interview and so you know that's how the uh the interviewing started and of course you know we did our interview courtesy of jazz right so mm-hmm. and uh yep <laughs> and i enjoyed that that was a really interesting interview right I, you know that's how the uh that's how everything for the book came about and so obviously you know i've had to delay the publishing for a bit just because i don't want to rush the process and of course there needs to be a balance between having you know, producing a, a perfect book versus actually publishing that perfect or that set book, right? Uh, right, because you can uh, you can edit a book indefinitely and not, never release it, and that's called a journal, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, there comes a point where you just have to release it to the world and live with it and so that is the the balance i'm trying to strike right with uh with my book and even you know it's a it's, it's an interesting process right for me doing the book writers course it helps with uh inspiration right and it helps with sure uh i do have kind of editing help through that process right with with the with the program but also it's an accountability measure as well because if i mm-hmm. i know for myself that if I didn't have the book writers course. I would not publish my book for the uh, until like fifteen years later. <laughs> I know that as a fact. So my my last big question here is what? And rather than to ask you what's your goal for the book, what's your vision for it? My vision really is very simple. If I can impact or change one person's life, or at least one person's life for the better through my book, that means I've uh, achieve my goal, right? All I'm looking for is to help others, uh, to gain confidence, gain self-esteem, be be very well aware uh, that introversion is should be seen as a source of strength and not a weakness, and that you know you can find success or whatever that definition of success may be to you without compromising your true self. That's right. I think I think it's important for people to have their own definition of success. And I think that's so key that you brought that up because so many times people look to others for, you know, what society 
indicates as the or dictates as the definition of success, but it really needs to be what is success what what does success mean for for you individually based on your unique qualities, your unique interests, who you are, the type of person you are, your personality. It needs to feel right for you as opposed to feeling like you're trying to fit into some box, basically. So I love the uh, the vision that you have uh, for the for the book. If if there was a piece of advice that you would offer to others that that something that you have learned along the way that you think would help others who have experienced similar challenges that you have, what would that offer of advice be? I I, I love that question and. My piece of advice really comes from my friend, Brian Almeida, actually. And he hosts a podcast called Vulnerable uh, with ABLE in capital letters. And so I, I, I adopted uh, his philosophy of just start. And I think that, you know, these two words are, mm. while, you, you know, it makes sense, you know, at face, at face value, there is a lot of depth that you can ascribe to it in, in terms of just starting what, what, what how. And you can go through, you cycle uh, through all those, um, you know, the five W's and the one H, right? In terms of uh, how you can go about it. To me, you know, just start is essentially where, you know, you acknowledge your fears. You know your limitations, right? As to what you can do. I mean, yes, I mean, obviously, you know, if you want to just start, uh, you know, flying yourself to Mars, then sure. <laughs> go go start a company like SpaceX, but um you know, all joking aside, right? If the way to challenge yourself and to challenge your self-limiting beliefs, um, and to you know ensure that you you will not remain the same person year after year, but rather change and grow and adapt, right? As as you know, as you craft your ideal version of your life, is to just start. I, I mean. For me, like you know, the the book, the podcast, these were just uh, ideas at one point, and now you know they're very close, you know, kind of close to uh, to fruition, right? And you know, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of the things that I've done uh, throughout my life have been experiments, right? Uh, to t- really take a page out of my scientific background, right? That experimentation and to not see failure as a failure you know as an abject failure or really or as a failure on your yourself or your own values right rather see it as a learning experience but rather uh, but also you know as a chance to to iterate to change some things to tweak some things to to iteratively uh improve on yourself and uh everyone you know and though and everyone around you and so you know just start Literally, you can, uh, you know, commit to something. Just start it. Just put it out there. No matter how, uh, how good or bad it is. I mean, to to a point. Right? I don't want <laughs> to put put out um uh, something that is that you're not particularly proud of. But mm-hmm. uh, ideas at one point, and now you know they're very close. You know, kind of close to uh to fruition. You know, put out something that is good enough, and then go from there. Give it your best. Give it your best. And I think that's great advice because if you don't just start, well, you never know where it might lead you or what you will accomplish. And 
And I love the fact that you said it is an iterative uh, process, an iterative experiment. I mean, I, I think life is a bit of an experiment. So I think this is just uh, the perfect ending to a, um, a, a wonderful discussion here. And I'm just so delighted to have had the opportunity to have you on the podcast. And I would love to also know if you could um, share where people can reach out to you and connect with you and learn more about you. Perfect. Sounds good. So there are two types of introverts in this world. One where there are no, nowhere to be found on social media. The second uh, type of introvert is they're everywhere on social media. And so I fall in the latter camp, actually. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so you can actually find me on, on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Medium at GodwinChan37. And so it's lowercase G-O-D-W-I-N-C-H-A-N 37. On Facebook, I am Godwin HS Chan, and on Instagram, it is G underscore protein. Now, I have a story on that because back in second year of undergraduate studies, um, I was taking a cell biology course, and so the topic of the day was G proteins and G protein coupled receptors. Yes, there are real things there there in your body, and so. You know, my friend started call just calling me that off the cuff. It was, hey, G-Protein, how's it going? And for me, <laughs> and so I naturally just, you know, kind of adopted it, uh, you know, for myself. And then I just made my uh, Instagram handle like that. And, you know, it's, it's, be it's, it's better than Commissioner Gordon. Or is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, at least it's got a story behind it. And I think that's a fabulous story. I love it. <laughs> and we'll be sure to include all of these links and um, the details in our show notes so that everyone can uh, can reach out to you. And I just want to thank you so much, Godwin, for just sharing with us today, just your, you know, your life experience uh, to this point and just what you're doing. And I know that um, the things that we've talked about will certainly help others um, rise up to their best and highest self. Great. Fantastic. Uh, you know, thank you again for uh, for hosting the show, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks again. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving, heart-centered, highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive. <laughs>